the message I'm going to give today is actually very practical and very simple. Very straightforward, yet seemingly impossible to be lived out. I love simple messages. I'm a very simple guy, in my opinion, right? And I love reading passages where it's just very straightforward. But I read this passage and I get struck to the heart because I know from experience how many times I've failed, right? Um, What I'm about to preach is something that only God's grace can do. And I believe that this small and practical um, section of this text we're going to read is going to really truly build up our community moving, moving forward. You know, our church... We've been in this limbo for a while. Um, We've been in this transition season. A lot of questions I ask, a lot of questions that you're probably wondering is, where is our church headed? What is the vision for our church? What's the purpose for our church? Are we going to go anywhere? How long is this this limbo season going to be? You know, I've been thinking those things. And as I read this passage, I feel and I hope that as we get into this word, I hope that it will breathe some vision for us moving forward. I hope that as I preach this, it's going to breathe some hope. It's going to breathe some more clarity into our minds as we're moving forward into this transition. Amen? Um, Pastor Kate read the passage, but it was like days ago. So I'm going to read it again. All right? Read it again. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. It says... Apostle Paul says, let love be genuine or sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Another translation says, be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal or never be lacking in zeal. But fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. All right. Amen. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we just pray that this simple word would transform our lives. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you breathe upon these words and would you breathe upon our hearts? I pray that we would hear your voice and receive your heart uh, through this message. Thank you, Lord, that you love your church. And help us to love your church as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You and I, we are the body of Christ. This morning as I was driving to church, I just kept thinking about that, that simple statement. We are the body of Christ. Christ as the head of this body. And I was thinking about that. And as I was driving here, I felt like the Lord was whispering in my heart, Will you love my body? Will you love my body? My body in which when, when Jesus was here walking this earth, that body which was torn to shreds, which was whipped on that whipping pole, now... The resurrected king has ascended. And now the Bible says that you and I, we are now that body. We are now that body of Christ. And I felt this morning that Holy Spirit was like, will you love my body? And I prayed, God, give me your eyes. 
give me your heart to see this church as what your word says, truly as your body. And I'm looking forward right now. I'm looking at you guys and I'm reminded this morning that we need each other. I'm reminded this morning that God has placed each and every one of us here for a purpose. You and I, we're so valuable. None of us are indispensable. You and I, we are the body of Christ. Amen? This passage we just read today, it's simply about the call to love those within the body of Christ. Now, the word of God all over it says we are called to love the world, the people in the world. We're called to love those outside the body of Christ. But this passage here, Apostle Paul is saying, he's exhorting, encouraging, and telling us how to love the body for those who are already in the body of Christ. That's what this passage is talking about here. And... How many of you guys know that sometimes it's easier to love those outside the body of Christ than inside the body of Christ? Mm. Mm, right? Some of you guys, I see you. I, see you. I, I saw your face, right? If you've grown up in the church, and if you're new to church, it won't take long to realize a church is full of broken people. It won't take long, right? The pastors <laughs> are so vocal right now, right? <laughs> right? It's challenging, it's challenging to love our own. Even in our immediate biological family, it's challenging to love our own. Is it not? We're so familiar with each other. We know everything about each other. We know beyond surface level of each other. And that is so hard to love, isn't it? Right? I mean, you guys are probably better than I. But I got to confess to you, it's hard to love family. It really is. Right? You know, Paul here, he's speaking to a church... That church that is submerged in Greco-Roman culture. Greek-Roman culture is a society that where the focus and emphasis is a culture and interaction of idea, thought, concepts, philosophy, and the emphasis on the material. People like Plato, Aristotle, Aristotle Socrates were the great influence, influencers of culture. They influenced culture. They were the influencers of the time. It was an elevation of thought, elevation of philosophy, elevation of argument, right? But Paul here, who's speaking, he's a Jew. He's a Jew that understands Greco-Roman culture. But Paul is a Jew. But in Jewish culture, one thing I realized when I talked to my Jewish friends is this. The values that they emphasize is actually very relational and very familial. They emphasize actually the immaterial and the spiritual more than the material. You see, in, in, in Jewish culture, there's such an emphasis on the familial, the communal. Right? And for, you know, for many of us who grew up in the West, right, we can't help. There's something ingrained, ingrained in us. That we can't help but to think more individualistically. A lot of critical thinking, which is great. You know, individualism at its finest. But you know, even Korea. Korea's getting there. But believe it or not, many, many decades ago, Korea used to be a very familial and communal society. 
There's this drama I love to watch. It's called 1988. You guys know it? Reply, reply 1988. 1988. You know, when I watch that drama, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. They have subtitles, right? It tugs at my heart when I watch this drama. There are times I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and then I have to pause it. I'm, like, getting a, a little emotional. I'm like, man, like, it brings me back. It, you know why I get emotional about it is because it tugs at something that uh, I desire in my heart. There's something in, inside of me, and there's something inside of us that desires community and that family feel. Because a long time ago in Korea, it was very familial. Neighborhoods, they were all friends with each other. You know, if I was living in a house back then and I, was miss, I, I, I ran out of kimchi, you know, I would just go next door and I will just barge in and be like, do you guys have any kimchi? And they would give me some kimchi. All the society was, was one family. Even when I was living in West Africa, I used to live in Gambia for a year and a half. I loved living there. I felt so alive. You know why? Because it was so familial. It was so communal. Everyone invited everyone. Everyone's mindset is we're all family. Right? There's something inside of us that longs for this. Right? Paul here, he's speaking to a church in Rome, a community of both Jews and Gentiles. This church is filled with differences upon differences. Differences in culture, right? Differences in class. You get all these different kinds of people, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they all become brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, think about that. All these people, they grow up in different upbringings, different culture, different background, and then they enter the church, they get a revelation of Jesus, and all of a sudden, Paul is saying, hey, we're family now. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, then you come across a wide set of challenges. A wide set of challenges. So here we have this church in Rome, super diverse, right? Different mindset, different values, and Paul is trying to bring everyone to the same level of ground. And he's preaching this message. He's making it very simple. Let's start with the first verse. Verse 9, it says this. It says, let love be genuine. Everyone say genuine. Let love be genuine. That word genuine is anupokritos. Anupokritos. That word pokritos, it comes from hypocrisy. Anu means without. Letting love be genuine means to love without hypocrisy. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying love without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. Let love be for real for reals. Right? Love like you claim you believe. But again, I'll be the first to admit here. Man, I got to confess, I'm very... I'm much like a hypocrite. You know, I'm a preacher. I preach on love. I believe in love. But many times I fall short. Many times I fall short. Right? You know, but praise be to God. Because I know that the Holy Spirit, He's working in me. He's working in us. Right? You see, I hear that, like, I don't like church because it's full of hypocrites. And when I hear that, I'm glad they say that because I say, Amen, you're right. <laughs> There is no church without hypocrites, right? Right here, Paul is saying, love one another without hypocrisy. 
When we say one thing but don't really mean it, right? It's like our generation, you and I, when I say this, you're going to agree with me. We crave genuine relationships. We crave authenticity. Authenticity. When I just even say that word, your soul just begins to crave, like, yes, I want that. I want authentic relationships in my life. You and I, we were created for authentic relationships. We hate superficiality. Matter of fact, superficial relationships, it damages. If we are not intentional in pursuing and working on authentic relationships, we won't really live out God's purpose for our lives when it comes to being a kingdom family. That's the title of my message today. Kingdom family. Genuine love increases for one another as we learn to see each other as God sees us. Simple as that. Genuine love increases for one another as we learn to see each other as God sees us. That means this. Our individual walks, our individual intimacy with God should naturally lead to a corporate familial overflow. Amen? We should desire not only to receive and experience God's love, but to extend that love within the body as well. Amen? Someone once told me, be a river, not the Dead Sea. Dead Sea in Israel is dead because it's in the lowest point on the earth. Super salty, ain't nothing living in that. Why is it dead? Because all it does is receive and there's no outflow. On the lowest point of the earth. But you and I, we're called to be the temple of God. And out of this temple is supposed to flow rivers of living water. You see, rivers are fresh because it's constantly moving. The Dead Sea is dead because it's only receiving, but there's no outflow. We're called to be a river. Amen? You see, in verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affections. I want to say brotherly affections. Here we go. Paul is saying, love one another sincerely, genuinely, without hypocrisy. Here's how. Here's how. Love one another with brotherly affection. Phileo love. That's where we get the name of our church from. New Philadelphia Church. Philadelphia in the States is known as a city of brotherly love. In Greek, this word, um, brotherly affection, is called philostorgos, right? You don't need to write that down. Don't worry about it. But it basically means... Tender love amongst family members. Tender loving, all right? Amongst, (laughs) sorry, family members, all right? Paul is exhorting the community to be intentional about the way we love one another, right? You see, when it comes to Philadelphia love, brotherly love, it goes way beyond flattery. It goes way beyond liking each other. You see, how many of you guys know, in family... Love becomes real and deep whenever there's resistance. Whenever there is tension. Right? Whenever people rub each, rub each other the wrong way. You see, for my sister and I, we used to fight a lot. Right? Mainly on my part. Right? Mainly, mainly on my part. Right? But, you know, my sister, 
She demonstrated, I hope she listens to this, right? I love you, right? She demonstrated filial love to the max all day, every day. Because I gave so much resistance and so many re- reasons for her not to love me, right? But, but each and every day she chose to love me, right? That's filial love. That's the kind of love that we need to show each other, right? Filial love. Devotion to one another. Commitment to one another. But here's the thing. It's not just commitment to one another. Otherwise, it's just, it's just another social gathering, right? It's not just commitment to one another. It's commitment to one another centered on Christ. So here's the thing. I, myself, as a brother, I'm committed and devoted to you, yes. But what, I'm, what, what this means is I'm committed to your Christ-likeness. That's a family that's centered on Christ. It's a family that is focused on, when we look at each other, we should be devoted to each other's Christ-likeness. That's what this is talking about here. Amen? And I love this. I love this passage because this is my favorite part of the passage. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Another translation says, compete with one another in showing honor. Come on. How Paul is saying here, I want you to have a little competition in your church. I want you to actively begin to honor one another. If there's anything I want you to beat each other in, it's showing honor to one another. And here's how I learned honor. Let me share a little bit part of my life. How God taught me honor. In my last year of high school, um, I had a, during high school, I actually had a pretty nasty bitterness toward older generation Koreans. I'm a Korean American, grew up in America. I used to have a crazy bitterness and a hatred, hardcore judgment against first generation Koreans. Right? I wanted nothing to do with them. Whenever I saw them at church, I just ignored them. Do your own thing. Leave me alone. Right? I had this, I was not too fond of them. At that time, near the end of high school, that's when God started opening up my heart for global missions. It's like, God, whatever open door you have, I want to say yes, Lord. So the church announced, okay, there's a mission trip to West Africa in a small country called Gambia. If you're interested, show up to this interest meeting. I was like, yes, Lord, no matter what, I'm going. I show up to this interest meeting, and I think I'm in the wrong room. Because sitting there are like 20 like filled with first-generation Koreans, the 20 of them, right? And I'm like, uh, I'm thinking I'm in the wrong room. I'm walking around. I go back to the room. They, I say, is this the meeting for the Gambia interest meeting? And then they're like, yes, it is. Please come in. And I'm like, okay. What I didn't know was that this trip it was an intergenerational mission trip. I thought it was just going to be an English ministry with the youth and college students. But I found out that it's youth, college students, and adults. And I said, I'm not going. <laughs> and then God, you know, he convicted my heart. Long story short, I ended up going. Now, at this mission trip, the craziest thing happened. You see, God brought me on this mission trip, not to, like, save the world or anything. God brought me on that particular mission trip to heal my heart toward the bitterness against the Koreans. Older Koreans. This is what happened. At that time, I was a teacher in the youth group, right? 
I go on this mission trip, and I'm talking with these parents. They're asking me all these questions, and I share my testimony, right? I share my testimony. I don't have time to share my testimony today, but long story short, pretty much I got caught selling drugs. I went to jail, and I encountered Jesus, and then I got saved, all right? Long story short, all right? I'll share another time. But I share my testimony, and all these parents are coming up to me, right? And I found out the craziest thing. I didn't know this, but, you know, my class, I was a teacher in youth group. The students, for some particular reason, all these students, their parents are on this mission trip. And they're coming to me, and they're saying, I'm trying to love my child the best I can. Can you give me some advice on how I should love my child? Because in my testimony, it was actually the way that my dad treated me that I got saved. And then I'm like, okay. And they're telling me all that they're doing. You know, they're being very manipulative, very controlling. Don't do this, don't do that. Very pressuring, comparing their children with other children. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Don't do any of that. And I share, simply share my story. And for the first time, I hold hands with them. We're praying for their children. And then I'm like, hey, they're not so bad after all. (laughs) And then I begin to fall in love with them. God begins to heal my heart. Because I begin to see first-generation Koreans not just on the stage and not just at church, but I, I begin to hang out with them outside the church. And they're a little different away from all the politics and everything, right? And I began to hang out with them. After the mission trip, I came back home. And in my prayer time, I felt like Holy Spirit was speaking to me and saying, I want you to build relationship with the first-generation Koreans. And I was like, all right. How am I going to do that? And I was thinking about it at our church. For those of you who grew up in like an Asian-American church, where like, you know, first-generation Koreans, they have their own service, and then the English-speaking has their own service. How am I, like, the only opportunities I get to hang out with them is either go on a mission trip like this, or go to their worship service. But I ain't going to their worship service. I don't want to, I don't understand it. And then God gave me a brilliant idea. This is, this is inspiration from the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, I want you to go every Saturday morning to their Saturday morning prayer. And then what the churches have, I don't know if, you know, you can relate to this. The Korean churches, what they have is every Saturday morning, they have a kitchen crew that makes kimchi every Saturday morning. And they make food for the rest of the church for the next day. So God was like, I want you to go there, 5 a.m., go to their prayer meeting, and then go to the kitchen crew and just show up and say, can I help? So I was like, yes, Lord. So I went, I go in, I go into the room. Here's this little kid walks, in, walks into this kitchen with all these, like, ajimas, right? They're all making kimchi. They're all cutting, like, you know, vegetables and everything. I'm like, Annyeonghaseyo. can I help you? And it's like, don't do right? What are you, what, what are you, what are you doing here, right? What are you doing here? And then I'm like, can I just help? Like maybe like sorgoji? And they're like, okay, right? I didn't want to do this by myself, so I dragged one of my friends, right? <laughs> so, guess what happened? Week in and week out, 5 a.m. We show up every Saturday morning. We do this for a year and a half every Saturday, right? In the beginning, we go there. All we're doing is washing dishes, not knowing how to converse. It's very awkward, right? After about a couple months, we begin to talk little by little, small talk. Because they're wondering, why are these kids coming to help us, right? And then we level up. 
When I say level up, they let us cut some, cut some vegetables, right? We level up, right? And then they're teaching us. After a couple months, we level up, and now we're making kimchi. We're making the kimchi, right? So I know how to make kimchi, right? Then we're leveling up. And as we're talking, and over months and months, we build this relationship. But the crazy thing is, a lot of these parents, they're parents of a lot of the youth kids I'm part of. And many, so many divine moments where I'm talking with, I'm sharing my testimony again and again and again. And all these parents, we hold hands and we pray for their children. And then we built this crazy relationship where I'm like, man, like, I get to hear their stories. I get to hear about their history and all that, right? And, you know, what ended up happening is later that year, I was going to go back to Africa for a mission trip. And then what I didn't know is they surprised me, the kitchen crew. They held a bibimbap fundraiser, right, saying it was, like, for something else. And they raised $10,000 one day. At the end of that day, because I help with cutting all the stuff, right? They come up to me and they said, actually, we did this for you. And then they gave me that to support me for my mission trip. And I was like, oh. Right? Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Later on, I go to Africa, right? I go to West Africa. I go, I go to Gambia. And I work with a Korean missionary there. Like, God always sets me up with all these first-generation leaders, Right? I go to this Korean um, mission compound, right? And what we're doing is we're loving on the orphans, right? We're loving on the orphans. I'm getting to learn a lot about Islam. I'm teaching in the public school. I'm doing all this ministry with them. And then something happens. I begin to clash like crazy with these first-generation Koreans. I begin, that bitterness begins to come back. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking thoughts like, why are you doing ministry like this? I would do it like this. How come you're not relational? You know? Why don't you get some rest? Because right? when I rest, I feel guilty because they're all working. Right? Like, I started like, judging them like crazy to the point where my heart was rotting. And I started like, even slandering them. I started gossiping about them. And it was getting out of hand to, to the point where like, I was borderline depression. So I went up to, his name is Pastor Han. I went up to Pastor Han. He's like 60-something years old at that time. And I said, Pastor Han, uh, I'm getting burnt out. Uh, can I take a month away to go to this other missionary's house? And it's like a place to rest. And he said, okay. I go to this place to rest. And it's like in the middle of like nowhere, right? I'm in there. There's nothing in there. And I'm just there to rest and pray. I'm just seeking God's face for a month. I hear nothing. You know, I feel like I'm in the desert. I don't feel the intimacy of God. It's like I'm struggling hard. And then finally, three weeks in, I hear a still small voice in my heart. And that still small voice said this, honor them. Honor them. Man, at this point, I didn't know what honor was still. Honor them. And then I'm like, okay, like what does that even mean? Like how can I honor them? Like I hate them so much, da 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 right? <laughs> and then like a week later, I feel again, I'm praying like, God, what does it mean to honor them? And then this thing that I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart, it changed my life. He said, honor them like I honor you. And I was like, what? Like, get behind me, Satan. Like, what do you mean? Like, 
I'm, I'm, who am I? Like, you're God, and I'm, I'm, I'm JP. What do you mean you honor me? What do you mean the king of kings honoring me? Right? And then I began to understand, it began to click in my heart. And this is what I learned what honor was. This is honor. Honor is to understand and have compassion upon the mistakes, weaknesses, and disagreements. And at the same time, identify, celebrate, and appreciate who they are in Christ and what God has done through them. I'll say that one more time. Honor is to understand and have compassion upon the mistakes, weaknesses, and disagreements. And at the same time, to identify, celebrate, and appreciate who they are in Christ and what God has done through them. You see, what God is telling me is this. He's like, JP, when I look at you, I celebrate you. When I look at you, I honor you. When I look at you, I don't criticize and gossip about you to the angels and say everything that's wrong with you. Right? I understand. And God's like, I honor you. You see, I was doing the opposite. I had no understanding and compassion on any of the weaknesses, anything. I never took time to identify and celebrate the fact that they'd laid down their lives for 25 plus years there. I was blind to the gold in them. I was blind to their identity and how God saw them. All I saw was criticism. How they did so much in this nation. How they fathered and mothered hundreds of children over the years. I came back to them. I got on my knees and I apologized. And I confessed that I've gossiped. I confessed I thought about them in this way. I'm so sorry. Ever since then, we became best friends. I began to ask questions about their history, about their life. Little did I know that that missionary also grew up as an orphan. Little did I know that that missionary also grew up without a father. Little did I know that he did tell me in my heart's desire, I want to love like you love. He told me that. He's like, I want to love, love them like the way that you love them. But it's really hard for me because I never grew up with that love. And then I began to just like, my heart start, started just breaking for him. And I began to understand his context. And ever since then, there was just such an honor for him. That was a big breakthrough in my life. Because that's where God taught me what honor was. You see, in this church, we're called to honor, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, how easy is it for us to criticize? How easy is it for us to put each other under a magnifying glass? How easy is it for us to be blind to the gold? Check this out. Honor, in Greek, it's time. Another word for time, another translation for honor, time, is what? Price. A.K.A. value. Honor in the Greek means value. What does this mean? What it, it means to look at each other and value one another. It's to draw out the value in each other. It's to look at each other, right, and draw out the God-given identity that they have and they carry. It's to draw out their spiritual gifts. It's to draw out how God created them to be. It's to draw out how God made them. You see, what would it look like if our community, we went forward and the culture of honor was so thick and so strong here in this family? Every single one of us in here, you have spiritual gifts. 
Every single one of us in here, you have unique parts about yourself that this body needs. We need you. We need each other. You see, that stuff doesn't get activated. That stuff doesn't get drawn out until we understand what Paul is saying. We need to compete with each other in showing honor. We need to draw that out of each other. I mean, like, Satan works overtime to tell us all these lies, right? Satan works overtime to tell us who we are not. We can't be partnering with Satan and doing the same thing. We got to come against that. We got to start speaking our new creation identities over each other. Amen? Outdo one another in showing honor, right? John Piper, he says this, And when we elevate someone by becoming their servant, we are painting a picture of the way Christ was among us. So, love, so, so loving affectionately and preferring to honor displays the glory of Christ. Amen? We got to become a servant to one another. We got to draw out the gold in one another. We got to ask God, you got God, you got to show me how you see them. Amen. Verse 11 and 12 is this. It says never be lacking in zeal. I love this. Everyone say zeal. Zeal, zeal, right? I love zeal. But guess what? Volume doesn't necessarily mean zeal, right? Me being up here and like doing all this, right? Right? It doesn't mean I'm zealous. All right? Zeal in the Greek, spude, it means swift and sincere effort. Not delaying or being passive. Let me say that again. Having zeal is not delaying or being passive. It means taking action. You see, the opposite of zeal is passivity. You see, passivity, you know what it is? It's waiting for somebody else to go first. Passivity is receiving a sermon and receiving a revelation, and all it, all it ends on is a journal. That's what passivity is. But zeal is taking what God has spoken to you. It's swift obedience. Zeal is quick obedience, active participation with the invitation that God gives us. Amen? You and I, we hold the word of God in our hands. And there's so many commandments that God has given us. There's so many invitations to adventure. You see, passivity says, that's a great idea. I believe it. But never be lacking in zeal. It's like, oh, I'm going to take that and run with it. I'm going to put feet to that faith. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to take action to it. Amen? No more passivity in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, no more passivity in the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, I have so much more to, to share on zeal. I want to share more on zeal, but we're running, we're running out of time. I need to touch on this last verse, which I love, right? I have many favorites, all right? And it's this, verse 13. It says, seek to show hospitality. Everyone say hospitality. You see, the gift of hospitality is so underrated. So underrated. Hospitality, right? What it means is to show what Paul is talking about. Brotherly love, honor unto strangers that they may become sons. Right? I was talking to this uh, Jewish rabbi friend of mine, right? And 
I asked, he asked me a question. He said, hey, JP, what is hospitality to you? And when a Jewish rabbi asks you a question, you're always second-guessing yourself. I'm like, I don't know. Put fruit on the table? I don't know, you know? Hospitality. And he shared this. Hospitality is so central for Christian community. It's so central to the church, so needed in the church. Hospitality, and this is what he told me. And I'll share this. He said this. Hospitality, right, it's cultivating a space of safety and vulnerability where Holy Spirit is given free reign to minister. Hospitality, the goal of hospitality is to create and cultivate a space so that there's safety and trust so that we can get real. What would it look like if we were to be a church that's so dedicated and committed to hospitality? I'm not just talking about giving gifts. I hope you're blessed by the gifts, right? I'm not just talking about putting fruit on the table. I'm not just talking about like, you know, saying hi to each other. I'm talking about real sacrificial hospitality. Well, our aim is to create a space here, create a culture here where when the moment someone walks in, they know I feel safe here. I can open up here. We want that, guys. Because hospitality, kingdom hospitality, it leads to tighter-knit community. We want kingdom family. It's going to have to come through genuine hospitality, expressed through genuine love, expressed through outdoing one another and showing honor. Zealously. Amen? You guys want that? You guys want that? Come on. I want that with all my heart. As our church is moving forward and we're transitioning and we're in this limbo stage, can I just cast us a vision? Let me ask you this question. The metric of success, when you look at a church, what is your metric of success? What do you think a successful church is? It's not numbers. It's not all these lights, right? It's actually how well we can love one another. It's actually that hospitality. It's the way we outdo one another in showing honor. That is a metric of success for a healthy church for me. Because from that place, we go out. Jesus said it himself. It's the way that we love one another, then the world will know when they look at us that we are his followers. When the world looks at us here at this church and the way that we love one another, does it look exactly the same as the way that other people Love one another. It should be radical, guys. Everyone say radical. You know, I'll close with this. All right? I promise I'll close with this. Two weeks ago, I got back from a mission trip from Malaysia. And God's been doing, like, a crazy work in my heart. And I'm so thankful, right? I come back from Malaysia, and I kid you not, I wake up in the morning, and I hear this phrase in my heart. It says, God, I feel like Holy Spirit speaking to me in my heart. And it says, he says, love revolution. Love revolution, right? And I'm like, what is that, right? And everywhere I go for the past two weeks, I keep hearing in random signs and random posts, love revolution. I go on Facebook later that day. I see all these posts that says, carry the love, carry the love. I go on my podcast and the first sermon that comes up, it says, culture of radical love. Everywhere I go, I'm hearing these sermons and God's just 
smashing it in my face, saying radical love, radical love, radical love. Right? And here's something practical that I want to just uh, give all of us a challenge to do that I've been doing. And it's, re- it's been really transforming my heart. Right? You can tell I'm very passionate about this. All right? <laughs> it's this. I used to, for the past couple of years, I have a journal. It's called the Gratitude Journal. Every day I write three things I'm thankful for, right? And every, every, you know, after a couple of months, I read through the things. I'm like, God, thank you for that. Oh, I remember that. God, thank you for blessing me with this. Oh, thank you for that person. Oh, thank you for that meal. Oh, thank you for that, you know? I'm reading all these things. I'm super thankful. We all need to do that. But this past two weeks, I realized that God began to convict my heart. And I read, all these things are about me and everything I receive. All these things are about my blessings and everything I receive, which I am thankful for. So in addition to that, you know what I started? I call it a radical love journal. At the end of the day, I write down three things that God used me and how I radically love someone. Every morning when I wake up, I pray. And for these past two weeks, this is what's been happening. I was like, God, who am I going to love today? God, who are you going to set before me today? God, fill me with your radical love. I want to love the heck out of someone today. That's my mission. That's my objective, my purpose in living for these past couple of weeks. And when I pray that sincerely, God presents all these opportunities for me. And I want to challenge us. What would it look like if we shift gears like that? When we shift gears from a receiving mentality to a giving mentality, from a sea mentality to a river mentality, I want to challenge you practically. Write down in a journal how God used me to radically love someone. Radical generosity with your finances, right? Radical servitude. When we inconvenience ourselves for the sake of loving someone. If God puts a figure in your mind, you find someone in need, you know, you joyfully bless them with it. I remember one time I was hanging out at my friend's house, and there was about 20 of us. And one of my other friends, he's like, hey, guys, can you guys stop? Can you guys stop what you're doing right now? There's something very important we need to do. He takes off his hat and says, hey, this sister right here, she's been filled with anxiety because she's struggling with uh, finances, and she has to pay these medical bills, da 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 Hey, I just really feel like we just need to show her God's radical love. Hey, can you take two minutes to just ask God how much we should give them? We take two minutes to pray. He just... On the spot, takes off his hat. He just passes it around, passes it around, right? And that hat is filled with love. And this this woman, she she's bawling. She's bawling. She experiences the love of God like never before, through radical generosity, radical love. Oh, church, brothers and sisters, today after you leave this place, ask God. Ask God, how can I serve my brother or sister? How can I honor them? God, give me a word for them. Give me, give me, how do you see them? Show me that, God. What identity would you like me to speak over that person? God, this person is struggling financially. God, how can I bless them? You know, there's, you know, it's just the beginning of a journey for me. And I, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm excited because let me tell you, these past two months, man, there's a lot of things going on, very busy and uh, a lot of, you know, uh, events going on, especially with our church. But for me, in my heart, day in and day out, I get excited for the day. 
okay, there's a bowling program, there's a, there's a church program, there's a, all these, there's a work thing, there's this thing. These are all just platforms for me now. I, I don't, like, I don't want to stress out about these things anymore. For me, I'm like, okay, God, in this opportunity, how can I love someone? Right? So that's what I want to challenge us with today. Zealous love. I'll just read the passage one last time, and then we'll pray. All right? The Word of God says, Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to pursue hospitality. Amen.